Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. And uh, we're going to put a slide up as we get started here. This is an iconic picture that maybe you have seen before in a history textbook or somewhere else. This was the first commercially successful oil well in the United States. It was drilled in Titusville, Pennsylvania to extract and sell crude oil. And the year was 1859, just before the Civil War. At that time, the little crude oil that was available was mainly used for lamps as a replacement for whale oil. These were the days before cars and gasoline, before diesel fuel and jet fuel, before electricity, before heating oil and central furnaces all of which have fueled modern civilization, right? And the global economy and made our lives and our world for better or worse what it is today. And so George Bissell and Edwin Drake who drilled this well so long ago had no idea at the time as they were standing there, the power that was literally underneath their feet. All right, we can take the slide down. I think that's a perfect analogy for the event that we're celebrating this morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have no idea. We have no idea the power unleashed by this event, the the power that's before us and around us and available to us. In today's passage, though, Matthew, the author of the gospel account that that we're reading about Jesus this morning is trying to show us and trying to help us appreciate this power. Let's take a look at this story and see what Matthew wants us to see. And I use the verb see intentionally because 10 times in these 10 verses, Matthew encourages us to look and to see. Many modern translations of of the original Greek Don't translate all 10 for stylistic reasons. So I'm going to read them from the more literal New American Standard translation. In verse 1, starting off, early Sunday morning, the two Marys went to look at the tomb where Jesus had been buried. Verse 2, and behold, a severe earthquake occurred. Behold is an old-fashioned word, but it basically means look, and that's what it is in the original Greek. Look, a severe earthquake occurred. Verse 3, an angel appeared, and his appearance, literally the look of him, was like lightning. Verses 5 and 6, the angel tells the women, I know that you are looking for Jesus. He's not here. He has risen, but come see the place where he lay. Verse 7, go quickly and tell the disciples, behold, look, Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. And then twice a little later in the verse, there you will see him. Behold, look, I have told you. Then verse 9, as the women are running away, behold, look, Jesus met the women. And finally, verse 10, Jesus says, in Galilee, my brothers will see me. Ten times in ten verses, look, behold, see, look. Matthew really wants to show us something. What is it that he wants us to see? 
Well, on the surface, the answer is obvious. Christ is risen. Look, behold, see, Christ is risen from the grave. This in itself is amazing. So amazing that that many can't believe it. And truth be told, Jesus' own followers had a very hard time believing it. If we were to keep reading the story, the women can barely believe it. And then they tell the men and the men won't believe it. Which, by the way, given how chauvinistic the culture was back then, if Matthew and the other gospel writers had made this story up, they never in a million years would have had women be the first ones to witness that Jesus had risen. The fact that God chose women to be the first witnesses says something about God and how God feels about women. And it also says a lot about the truthfulness of the story, because the only explanation is that this is the way it happened. They wouldn't have made it up this way. Anyway, when the women do tell the men, if you keep reading the story and you have to switch to the Gospels of Luke and John to get these other details, when the women tell the men that Jesus is risen, the men can't believe it and the men don't believe it. And this is also one of the reasons as a number of different lawyers and crime detectives have studied these stories over the centuries. They have said, you know, these don't seem made up. This doesn't seem like some sort of collusion that everyone agreed to. We're going to tell this story. No, this has all the marks of the kind of eyewitness testimony that we're familiar with in court. But anyway, I digressing a little bit. The point is that as unbelievable as the resurrection itself is, that's not the only thing that Matthew wants us to see. What Matthew also wants us to see is the power that comes with and from the resurrection. Just as Drake and Bissell stood there above all that crude oil, not having any clue just how immense the power beneath their feet would prove to be, So I think many of us who follow Jesus have no clue just how much power is available as a result of Jesus's resurrection. But Matthew's here to help us with that. Matthew wants to help us to look, wants to help us to see the power. Notice, for those of you who were here two Sundays ago, when we looked at Jesus' death on the cross, we saw the incredible and powerful victory that Jesus won on the cross. And and notice the echoes of that power and victory that we saw there two weeks ago that recur in today's story. Do you remember back in response to Jesus' death, the seven words that God spoke? if you were here two weeks ago, in the midst of the darkness, which had fallen on the earth, as Jesus was dying a horrible death on the cross, God had spoken seven words, and each word was an action, a powerful action done by God in response to Jesus' death. The temple curtain had been torn in two. The earth had shaken. The stones had split. The tombs had been opened. The bodies of some who had died had been raised, and they had been made to appear in Jerusalem several days later. And as a result of all of this, the Roman soldiers who crucified Jesus had been very afraid. And they were the first to confess Jesus' death, we saw, as 
the centurion over them said, surely this man was the son of God. And then Matthew had made a point to tell us that a lot of Jesus's female disciples, including Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, had been there watching from a distance. And we saw when we looked at that passage about Jesus' death, that all of this added together was evidence that a powerful victory had taken place, that in the death of Jesus, a powerful victory was won over the powers of the old age. And that as the earth shook, the curtain of separation was torn and the tombs were opened, a new age was being born where life has defeated death, where heaven has been rejoined to earth, overcoming the effects of sin and the old stratifications and hierarchies of exclusion have been undone. We saw all of that when we looked at Jesus' death on the cross. And now Matthew says, look, look again. Three days later, look, look, the woman, the two Marys in particular, they're still here watching. Look, the soldiers are still here. Probably not the same individual soldiers who presided over Jesus' crucifixion, but soldiers nonetheless. And look, the stones Hulking, solid, immovable objects are still being affected by the power of what God is doing. At Jesus' death, they were split in two. Here now, a huge stone that's standing in the way of the tomb is in an instant rolled away by the angel. And then look, again, there's a great earthquake. Remember, we saw in the Old Testament prophets that earthquakes were a sign of the end times, a sign of the turning of the ages, like great tectonic plates shifting, the old age beginning to die and the new age beginning to come into being. And look, Matthew continues, again, the tombs are opened and the dead are raised to life as death is defeated. Look, Matthew exclaims, do you see it? The incredible power unleashed when Jesus died, again, continues to be unleashed as Jesus is raised. The power of a mighty victory, the power which defeated the dark powers of the old age, sin, death, separation, stratification, that power continues to be unleashed in Jesus's resurrection. Look! It's interesting that Matthew alone makes a point to highlight this power for us. Matthew is the only of the four gospel writers who tells us about the soldiers guarding the tomb. He's the only one who mentions the earthquake. He's the only one who tells us about the angel who comes down from heaven and in a flash rolls away the huge hulking stone. He's the only one who tells us that this angel is brilliant like lightning. Because Matthew passionately wants us to see the power that is unleashed in the resurrection of Jesus. Later, if we were to keep reading, Jesus himself will tell us about this power. Or closely related to power, actually, it's his authority that Jesus will tell us about. It's a a verse that many of you know. Some of you have memorized the Great Commission down in verse 18. Jesus says, All authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth. Look, Matthew says, do you see the power? Do you see the authority? 
Do you realize what has been unleashed through Jesus's death and resurrection? Do you realize what it means that the dark powers of the old age have been defeated? Do you realize what it means that Jesus Christ has conquered sin and conquered death and conquered darkness? That Jesus has rejoined heaven and earth so that God can be present among us again, bringing the blessings of heaven to earth, bringing freedom instead of bondage, bringing hope instead of despair, bringing healing instead of brokenness, bringing forgiveness and reconciliation instead of strife and enmity, bringing equality and acceptance instead of stratification and exclusion, bringing goodness and love instead of sin, bringing life instead of death. Look, a new age has begun. Look, a powerful victory has been won. C.S. Lewis's classic allegorical retelling of the resurrection story bears repeating here. If you know the story in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it takes place in the magical land of Narnia. A wicked witch has held the whole land under a dark, evil spell. And so it's always winter, but never Christmas, as Lewis puts it. And the witch in particular has laid claim to the, the blood of, of a boy from our world named Edmund after she enticed him into betraying his siblings and his friends. And then mysteriously, Aslan, the great lion, the Christ figure in the story, offers his own life to the witch in exchange for Edmund's freedom. And so Aslan allows the witch and her sinister henchmen to, to bind him and to shave his mane and to put him to death on a stone table. But Aslan had been everyone's only hope against the dark magic of the witch. And now all hope has been snuffed out and the land lies in darkness. And so we pick up the story with Edmund's two sisters, Lucy and Susan, who so loved Aslan they're walking dazed and confused and grief-stricken in the, in the last hours of, of the night near the table where their hero lies dead. And Lewis writes, Then at last, as they stood for a moment looking out towards the sea, the red turned to gold along the line where the sea and the sky met, and very slowly up came the edge of the sun. At that moment, they heard from behind them a loud noise, a great cracking, deafening noise, as if a giant had broken a giant's plate. What's that? said Lucy, clutching Susan's arm. I, I feel afraid to turn around, said Susan. Something awful is happening. They're doing something worse to him, said Lucy. Come on. And she turned, pulling Susan round with her. The rising of the sun has made everything look so different. All the colors and shadows were changed that for a moment, they didn't see the important thing. Then they did. The stone table was broken in two pieces by a giant crack that ran down it from end to end. And there was no Aslan. Oh, 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 cried the two girls rushing back to the table. Oh, it's too bad, sobbed Lucy. They might have left the body alone. Who's done it, cried Susan. What does it mean? Is it more magic? Yes, 
said a great voice behind their backs. It is more magic. They turned round. There, shining in the sunrise, larger than they had seen him before, shaking his mane, for it had apparently grown again, stood Aslan himself. Oh, Aslan, cried both the children, staring up at him, almost as much frightened as they were glad. Aren't you dead then, dear Aslan, said Lucy. Not now, said Aslan. You're not, not a... asked Susan in a shaky voice. She couldn't bring herself to say the word ghost. Aslan stooped his golden head and licked her face. The warmth of his breath and a rich sort of smell that seemed to hang around his hair came all over her. Do I look it? He said. Oh, you're real. You're real. Oh, Aslan, cried Lucy. And both girls flung themselves upon him and covered him with kisses. But what does it all mean? Asked Susan when they were somewhat calmer. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a deeper magic still, which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who has committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. And as we continue to follow the story of Narnia, that's what happens. Death starts working backwards. Aslan roars and the winter continues to thaw into spring. Aslan breathes on the witch's enemies whom she has turned into stone and their life is restored to them. And eventually Aslan and his followers defeat the witch and their evil forces. And Narnia is restored to goodness. All because in the great lion's death and resurrection, a great power was unleashed, accomplishing the defeat and the death of the old age and the dawning of a new one. That's what we celebrate this morning. That is the great power that Matthew is inviting us to see. Look what power. But here's the reality. Often we don't see it and it's hard to believe. I don't know about you, but I find the power of Jesus' resurrection hard to believe. Because when I look around me, when I look at all that's going on in the world today, when I look at Westchester County, Putnam County, when I look at my own life, I don't see the power of the new age coming and the old age passing away nearly as much as I want it to. And as I've been thinking about this, I think this is why the perfect time for us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus is right now in the early spring. Think back over the the past few weeks. Everything has been still so brown and so dead and the last of the snow was still melting just a few weeks ago. Who would have believed that in a few weeks, everything will soon be bursting with life, all green and growing and colorful. 
And so one of the things in our family that we like to do to encourage one another at this time of year, at the very tail end of, of winter and the very just beginnings of spring, is to share when we notice signs of spring. A bluebird or a robin here, uh, a crocus or a snowdrop there, the sound of peepers in, in the nearby wetland, all little signs, little evidences of life and of power that's being unleashed. Little indicators that the old age of winter won't last forever and that the new age of spring and summer is on its way. At first, you have to look hard for them. They're not easy to notice. Maybe just the, the first uh, shoots of, of a yard flower pushing up through the mulch bed or the swelling and reddening of the buds on a bush or, or just a little onion grass growing up in the brown lawn. Well, this is what we all have to learn to be on the lookout for when it comes to the resurrection power that Matthew's talking about. Because these signs are reminders that encourage us of how very real and powerful the coming of the new age is. And that's why from time to time we tell stories of God's transforming work in our lives in our Sunday services, right? And it's why we need to tell these stories to each other in small groups or just when we're hanging out together. So let me just give you a, a couple examples, a couple signs of spring that I've seen. First, you, you know that situation, um, that problem that keeps you up at night? It, it's worrying you, maybe it's angering you, and, and you find your mind keeps going back to it, even though you're trying hard not to think about it, you seem not to be able to. And whenever you think about it, you find yourself going over it and over it in your mind. And, and as you do, your anxiety level, maybe your anger start to rise up within you. And you're complaining about it in your head or maybe out loud to the person you live with, if, if they're a sympathetic listener. And then God convicts you that your attitude of complaining and of being angry and frustrated isn't honoring to God and it's stealing your peace and your joy. And you need to stop complaining out loud and even to stop complaining in your head. Well, that's happened to me. And at first, as I felt God nudging me to stop complaining and to change my attitude, at first I want to blow it off. God, don't worry. I'm not complaining in public. I'm not hurting anyone. This is my own little private thing here. And besides, there's one part of me that kind of likes holding on to my frustration. And I can't seem to stop feeling anxious about it. And then God says in my conscience, but I want you to stop. And that conviction comes with an invitation. You will feel better. You will know more of my peace if you change your thinking and your heart about this situation. And I want to help you do it. I'll give you the power to do it. And then as I take that step of obedience, leaning into God and into God's power to change my heart, I stop complaining and rehearsing the situation, and it's like a weight lifted off of me. I'm more peaceful. I'm more joyful to be free of those negative thoughts and feelings. It's a little sign of spring that I've seen in my own life recently, a little sign that under the surface, God's power is at work, moving me bit by bit from the old age into the new age.
On a more dramatic scale, let me give you a second story. We have seen this past year during the pandemic, someone dramatically come to Christ and Christ is completely transforming their life. This isn't someone who attends CBC regularly, but God used some tough experiences in this person's life to cause them to reach out for help to a couple people in this church. And we had a chance to point them to Jesus and to the help and to the salvation and to the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And they have embraced Jesus 110%. And they've said, I want Jesus to be number one in my life. I want to change my life so it's pleasing to Jesus. I want to clean up my life. I want to know how Jesus sees me, what Jesus wants from me, what Jesus wants me to do with my life. I am all in. Again, this is the power of Jesus's death and resurrection taking root, sprouting up in a life, beginning the process of a complete transformation, bringing this person out of the old age of darkness into a new life in a new age of hope and love and peace. There's other stories we could tell and that we need to tell. We need to keep looking for signs of spring to remind ourselves and and one another that like those two oil drillers, there is incredible, unbelievable power available and at work through Jesus Christ, especially through his death and his resurrection. Matthew wants us to see it. He wants us to believe it so that we can be part of it for ourselves, so that we can experience greater breakthrough, greater transformation, greater freedom in those areas of our lives that need to change. And also, like the women in the story this morning, so that we can run with the good news and share it with others who may or may not believe it. Because what did Jesus say after he told his first disciples that God had given him all authority in heaven on earth? He said, go make other disciples, baptize them, teach them everything I've taught you. Put my power to work, not only in your own life, but in the lives of others. So that my life comes to transform their lives so they can leave behind the old age of darkness too and become part of the new age that I am bringing into the world. And that is the power of the resurrection. That is the power that we celebrate this morning.